When it comes to work, communication is key. Even if you don't have a writing job, sounding unconfident, indecisive, or passive-aggressive can hold you back professionally and hurt your team's productivity. Grammarly Premium's advanced tone suggestions make sure you're always sending the right message. Sound clear and confident in your writing and automatically replace negative-leaning language with solution-focused alternatives. With Grammarly's help, you can build stronger relationships at work, be constructive in the face of challenges, and help your team get things done. Grammarly works where you do, so your team's projects get done before the deadline. And with features like comprehensive spelling, grammar, and clarity-focused sentence rewrites, Grammarly helps keep your writing efficient and mistake-free. The right tone can move any project forward. Get it just right with Grammarly. Go to grammarly.com slash podcast to sign up for free. Then get 20% off when you upgrade to premium. That's 20% off at grammarly.com slash podcast. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain. He's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me, I've got a very special guest this week. He's a second-time visitor on the program. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum. He's also the voice of of the Miami Hurricanes. He also blogs for the website Fan Sided. His name is Evan Siegel. Evan, thanks so much for coming on. Got it, Garrett. Evan, you are a, a big Dallas Mavericks fan, so we're going to talk everything Dallas. We're going we're gonna to break down some of their offseason moves. And then uh, later on in the episode, since uh, Dirk uh, has officially retired, his career is through, we can, we can finally look and, and parse through all of his accomplishments, so I thought we would talk about his legacy and his standing uh, amongst the greatest players in the history of the game. But first, Evan, uh, you know, the, the draft came around, and the Mavericks, I believe they had the 37th pick. They ended up trading down uh, to number 43 and drafting Isaiah Roby. He is a, kind of a 3-slash-4, 6'8", with a 7-1 wingspan. What are your thoughts on uh, on that young prospect? Right, so... You know, originally, obviously, the Mavericks did not have that first-round pick because of uh, the deal to get Luka Doncic uh, last summer. And so sitting there at, you know, at number 37, uh, one could only hope that the Mavericks would strike gold again uh, and come up with someone like Jalen Brunson, who they got uh, right, right around in that range. Uh, of course, the Mavs ended up moving back, as you mentioned, because I think it was very important for them to try to recoup a little bit of trade amp, a little bit of draft ammo. Uh, 
first-round picks to get Chris Stapps or Zingas. Uh, and while two second-round picks doesn't sound like all that much, uh, it was significant when you can also pair that with still taking Isaiah Roby, uh, who, as you mentioned, you know does have a very good wingspan on him, 6'8", 7'1", wingspan, kind of a 3, kind of a 4. He even played a little bit of 2 uh, in the summer league. Uh, without, you know, being too blunt, uh, he was not very good uh, in the summer league. Uh, you know, he is still learning, you know, his handle, uh, which is never really a good sign for someone who played more than one year in college. Uh, his three-point shot is, you know, kind of kind of comes and goes over time, as we saw at Nebraska. And uh, what was interesting to me was that the Detroit Pistons, who, of course, moved up into that spot with the Mavericks, you know, who have such a glaring need on the wing uh, decided to pass on him. Uh, you know, of course, and with such limited resources, the Detroit Pistons only went out and managed to bring in Tony Snell, uh, who's on the back nine of his career, to put it kindly. Uh, so that, you know, I think around the league, there wasn't that much chatter, that much excitement about what Roby can bring. Um, but at the same time, uh, this guy, I think, has the potential to be at least just a solid NBA player. He's never going to be a star. Uh, but all in all, I think it was sort of a safe pick by the Mavericks, not looking to do anything too fancy, uh, given the fact that they already have themselves, uh, you know, the two sort of cornerstone international phenoms, and now it's sort of about filling in the ancillary pieces. So hopefully he doesn't have to play too much in his rookie season. Uh, if he can just get a three-point shot together, then uh, maybe the Mavs have themselves a decent 3 and D player down the line, but he's very, very raw uh, and a long way to go uh, to get him kind of acclimated into the rotation, I would say. Yeah, again, I don't watch a lot of, of college basketball, but just reading a little bit about him, it seems like you're you're right on the money that he is a, a raw player. It sounds like you know he spent three years in college in his first couple of years. He started as more of a bench guy and then slowly graduated towards being uh, you know, a, a quality starting player, but also in the college game, he played a little bit more of just that traditional power forward role, whereas in the NBA, uh, he'll be looked at more as a wing. And, uh, you know, Dallas, of course, I think that's probably the, the biggest weakness on this roster is at that wing slot, although they uh, they were able to re-sign Dorian Finney-Smith on that three-year, $12 million deal. Right. I, I think that on the Finney-Smith front, I think there was definitely an element of the uh, I think Finney Smith and his uh, representation uh, at least waited, you know, those first couple days of free agency just to see what was out there, uh, and then ultimately decided to come back. I mean, Finney Smith had sort of a disappointing season a year ago because he had continuously been developing into one of those uh, potentially really elite three and D players. In fact, I think there was a time when many considered him a potential Trevor Ariza type role player. Uh, but to still get him back, you know, three years, twelve million is, is not, you know, anything that's going to cause the Mavs too much trouble down the line. Uh, very tradable contracts. You know, he's still young, he's still developing, he's still getting better. So teams are going to be looking to him if the Mavericks want to make a move for that third superstar. Um, but nonetheless, you know, even after doing that, I still think drafting Isaiah Ruby did make at least a little bit of sense, given that, as you outlined, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee are only so reliable on the wings. Uh, you know, they're inconsistent at best, and Cornelius' career is uh, all but over. Uh, so adding Isaiah Ruby while also retaining the very durable Finney Smith uh, at least gives the Mavs, you know, an answer 
uh, at least for the first third of the season before they can you know, maybe consider making a move at the deadline. Yeah, Courtney Lee and, and Tim Hardaway Jr. both don't necessarily seem to be in the Mavs' long-term plans, uh, you know, especially considering I think Rick Carlisle likes to play those uh, you know those multi-point guard lineups, and then you know if you're if you're playing, you know two smaller guys in the backcourt, you want some some definite solid wing defenders, and I don't think either of those guys, especially Courtney Lee at his age, are that anymore. Uh, but uh, they they did do a lot in terms of improving the backcourt in the offseason. They uh, they ended up signing Seth Curry, a former Dallas Maverick, on a four-year, thirty-two million dollar deal. And then also uh, acquiring DeLon Wright in a sign-and-trade in which they, uh, they ended up giving Memphis a couple of second-round picks, and then they signed Wright to a three-year, $29 million deal. How do you feel about those two guys and kind of the, uh, the versatility that he gives uh, Carlisle in this team? Well, so in a vacuum, I think it's very hard to argue with either deal. Uh, they're both pretty manageable contracts, four years, 32 for Seth, as you said. Uh, and only three years, 29 for DeLon, which is a lot better than you know what, what was sort of forecasted for him uh, before free agency, especially as a restricted free agent for a team that had a lot of financial flexibility uh, uh, in the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, however, uh, as a fan, uh, I have some concerns about those two deals because, first of all, on the Seth Curry front, uh, there's, you would be hard-pressed to find a bigger Seth Curry fan than me. Um, you know, obviously the shooting is elite, and he's a very, very underrated defender. A gritty player, does everything you ask of him. A coach's dream. You, know, you can just plug him in, you know, either as a starting two guard or as a sixth man. But the problem I have with him is, is that so often in today's game, we talk about you need shooting, you need shooting, you need shooting. You know, LeBron needs shooting around him. You know, uh, Luka Doncic needs shooting around him. All this stuff, and that's all very true. Uh, but for example, the Mavericks. Um, last season uh, found Ryan Brokoff uh, out of nowhere, out of Australia. Didn't need a draft pick to use on him. Didn't spend a penny of cap space on him. And Ryan Brokoff shot in the 40s uh, from three-point range and was a very reliable shooter throughout the year. And so if you're going to prioritize shooting uh, to this degree, then it is a little concerning to see a team pay commit 32 million bucks uh, on a four-year deal uh, to a player who's going to be giving them not that much more than just elite shooting. Uh, you know, that's sort of a long-winded way of saying it. It's not that difficult, really, to find good shooting in the NBA. I mean, when the Mavericks won the championship, uh, that shooting was, you know, Jason Terry here, Sean Stevenson there, Jason Kidd here. I mean, they had, like, at least eight different guys who shot over 33% from three-point range that season. Uh, and so just from a philosophical perspective, that signing uh, was a little bit worrisome because I do look down the line and say, okay, well, here we've got the shooting, but do we have the truly, you know, pieces yet to warrant making such an investment in such a limited portion of the game? Uh, and then on the DeLon Wright front, um, I was very excited to see this one because the Mavericks definitely need some perimeter defense. Luka Doncic, uh, for how unbelievable his rookie season is, was about as equally unbelievable in how bad it was defensively. Um, and people are very quick to overlook that. Um, and so at least surrounding him, at least putting one you know truly established defender alongside him in the backcourt was definitely important. Uh, there were rumors connecting the Mavericks to Patrick Beverly for weeks before free agency. 
Um, I would definitely prefer DeLon Wright to Patrick Beverly. He's got much more size on him. Uh, the three-point shot is still very, very much a work in progress, only 28% from DeLon last season. Uh, but he, he's also got sort of a scorer's body to him. You know, he's six foot five, so he can sort of use his size to body up against smaller guards. He can get into the paint. He's got a little bit of a mid-range game. Uh, and if you've got Luka and KP, and you've got the, the shooting of Seth and a little bit of scoring from Hardaway Jr., then whatever DeLon Wright gives you when it comes to 10, 12 points a game and then just some really solid defense and rebounding, then you might have something. And so I think that that signing was... Very, very, very significant in that I think that's the kind of move that could help the Mavericks down the line in a playoff series. Uh, so I was a little bit more interested and a little little happier to see the Mavs make the move to go get DeLon Wright uh, than I was to see the move from Seth. Yeah, uh, I, I love all your points you made there, and I don't think people realize, too, that, that Seth Curry, even though he's the younger brother of Steph, he is 29 years old, so you know that third and fourth year on that deal... Uh, is going to be uh, in his age, you know, 32-33 season. So, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of paying for his his post-prime most likely, even though I do think, as you stated, every team needs shooting, and, and he certainly uh, has a track record of being an elite shooter. And I think his, uh, you know, being on the Mavs previously and, and maybe being a favorite in the locker room and a favorite of Carlisle maybe led to, uh, to that deal. Uh, but DeLon Wright, you know, I think, you know, at, at 27 years of age for the next three years, you're basically paying for his prime. And as you said, a guy that can handle the ball a little bit, uh, you know, his, his shooting has been off and on. He's had a couple of years here or there where he shot the ball well. But, uh, yeah, last year, not so much. Uh, but, but yeah, his defense, that they, they need a ton of defense, especially, as you stated, with, with Doncic being a poor defender and without really an, an elite perimeter defender outside of right he, he's a big pickup moving on now to uh to to some of the the bigs that they picked up of course Porzingis obviously being the big deal them getting him on a five-year 150 million dollar contract and uh what were your thoughts as far as you know not only the fact that I think the initial reports when they traded for Porzingis that that Kristaps was was questioning whether he would sign with the Mavericks long term and then also the Mavericks just paying the, the full max contract and not getting any sort of injury exclusions. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the, look, the, the Mavericks are obviously known to do this. Um, you know, they are a very, very aggressive, um, sometimes reckless organization. And, you know, they did a very, they kind of did a similar thing, you know, in a very different situation uh, when they, you know, they made the deal for Rajon Rondo very risky scenario. They gave up a whole lot to get him. Um, and it, look, and here's the thing about KP. I mean, obviously the Mavericks, you know, have something within their medical system, within their, you know, they obviously took a look at him and they feel pretty confident about this because let's, let's just break down for a second how much the Mavericks have invested in this one player that has never played a single minute for the, for the team. They initially partnered was with Dennis Smith Jr., who was not living up, you know, necessarily to superstar potential, uh, but was still, by all accounts, you know, a very talented player who was struggling a little bit to try to fit next to Doncic and didn't necessarily ask for a trade. It was just, you know, other reports that came out of Dallas was that he was sort of open to the idea, uh, was not a locker room cancer or anything like that, was a much improved uh, three-point shooter from his rookie season. You know, he's, he was a growing player, so they parted ways with him. Uh, they then agreed to take on not one, but two 
you know, ra- uh, might I say toxic contracts uh, in Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee, especially Courtney Lee. You know, Tim Hardaway's the worst contract, but at least he's a usable player. At least he can be, you know, on the court and at least somewhat contributing, whereas Courtney Lee is just, you know, a waste of space right now. Um, and then, so on top of that, on top of getting rid of DSJ and absorbing the two bad deals, they then parted ways with two number one draft picks. And it's worth mentioning that, you know, precedent in the NBA with superstar trades usually only involves one first round draft pick, as, you know, Kawhi Leonard uh, was dealt away from the Spurs, again, in a similar situation with, you know, he, along with KP, they both asked for trades. And the Raptors only, you know, part ways with one first round draft pick. And so that, you know, especially for a player that has not played, you know, in an awful long time, on coming off a torn ACL at a position where a torn ACL is far more significant than, you know, might it be for a point guard. Um, and then you turn him right around and give him five years. And not to mention, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, he's got a player option on that fifth year. Yeah. So there's not any bit of security here you know there's no team option there's no fourth season there's no potential out anywhere there's no early termination um it is purely you know close your eyes and jump into it um very 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 high risk uh, and very very high reward as, as you know i think you would agree um he's a superstar talent uh when healthy and when he's got his head on straight uh, he is virtually unstoppable, you know, at that size. And he and Doncic, you know, it's going to take a minute. But and I do think Dallas Maverick fans need to, you know, understand that this, you know, next season they very well may start, you know, three and ten, you know, and people are going to be calling for Porzingis's head, and Doncic is going to be unhappy and all this. But they, they need to be prepared for the for the time when, you know, the Mavs kind of come out of the gates a little wobbly, and you know. Because there's going to be some growing pains, and I don't think it's going to be, you know, until November at least, you know, when the team kind of has, you know, their feet under them uh, and gets it started. So, yeah, it uh, it's it's going to be fascinating. I think the one thing, you know, to defend the Mavericks a little bit here is the idea that when they signed that contract, they at least got a pretty decent look into Porzingis's rehabilitation process. You know, he had been basically a year out from his injury when they signed that deal and it'll it'll be about a year and a half when the season starts by the time he suffered that injury so you know for all the people that are are super worried about his his production this season because of the injury uh, I'm not really that concerned because again he's had so much time and and Dallas was so cautious with him last year exactly yeah and furthermore you know you know kind of piggybacking off what you said the Mavs by all accounts, to not trade and then sign Porzingis for this coming season. You know, it was, this is a team that did not win 35 games. And it obviously, you know, basically, unless you're the Lakers or the Nets, you know, very few teams are going to go from 35 wins to championship contender uh, in one season. And so this was about pairing Doncic with another blue chip five-star player who was under the age of 25, that the Mavs can ease in there. And as you said, you know, the Mavericks do are known to have a very good training staff and they obviously took a long look at this and, you know, they have ever, you know, we at least are led to believe that they have taken a long look at that knee and feel good enough about it to commit five years and 157 to him. Uh, 
after having parted ways with so you know much in terms of assets. Um, and one would hope, you know, that Porzingis and Doncic could potentially recruit a free agent to Dallas in the future. They've had such a hard time with that in the past. Um, and, of course, you know, this summer they kind of loosely tried that with Kemba Walker. That went nowhere fast. Uh, so you're right. I mean, it, it is obviously not ne- uh, only about this season. I think the Mavs may be able to squeak in there as an eighth seed. Uh, but we'll see. You know, this was obviously about the future. And look, you know, you mentioned the, just the bigs in general. I do think the signing of Boban Marjanovic um, is was very, very shrewd on the part of the Mavericks. So I was very, very pleased to see that because Porzingis is going to need some nights off. You know, there's going to be some load management. And so, what better way to kind of approximate? You know, obviously, you can't approximate his skills with Marjanovic, but he's also seven foot three, and so matchup wise, you may not miss a beat. You know, skill-wise, you're going to have a hard time. But, you know, in terms of just, you know, imposing size in the paint, you know, Porzingis taking a night off is not going to be that big an issue. Yeah, it's already been fun seeing some highlights of uh, the Serbian national team in the World Cup with uh, with Boban and Jokic out on the floor together. There was one highlight where uh, Jokic hit, hit a little tip pass to Boban and he was able to dunk without uh, leaving his feet off the ground. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Boban signed a two-year, $7 million contract. I have no issues with that. You know, they also were able to re-sign Maxi Kleba, 27-year-old promising, you know, uh, center that can, that can protect the rim and stretch it out to three. Uh, so, you know, the fact that Dallas has a couple of those bigs in Porzingis and Kleba that, that, can, that can space the floor on offense and uh, be, the, be the anchor of the defense is pretty impressive. My biggest concern, though, has to do with the, the extension of Dwight Powell. They signed a three-year, $33 million extension, so uh, his contract now extends four years into the future. He's going to be getting paid uh, $11.8 million in the 22-23 season. Uh, that, that's one that I, I really have a hard time getting behind. So, on the Dwight Powell front, uh, I, like a lot of people, have been a little bit, including you, I, I think have been a little bit, you know, let's say, befuddled uh, by the Mavs' seeming love affair with this guy. Um, no one is will deny that Dwight Powell is one of the best, like, team guy, team locker room guys uh, in the entire league, and he's made ex- exceptional strides since he came to the Mavs. And he's you know, the one sort of saving grace from the Rajon Rondo trade. Um, what is a little strange about this is that in the era of small ball, the Mavericks seemingly have you know, committed a max contract to one guy, signed a four-year $37 million deal for another guy, and then Dwight Powell on a three-year $33 million deal, uh, and Marjanovic. Uh, so it's a little perplexing that they're going this far in, into, you know, committing this much money to a, you know, a certain position group that may be being phased out. Um, however, when it comes to Dwight Powell, he is someone that Rick Carlisle has trusted from day one. Um, and I will say this, you know, the Mavericks were very, very clearly you know, committed to extending Dwight Powell once the season ended. Uh, when that, when those stories were, um, coming out, uh, I was very, very worried about the potential numbers that were going to be involved there. I was anticipating something like five years, 55, 60 million dollars. Oh, good Lord. 
but which when I saw when you know when I saw you know Mavs extend wide now I kind of you know cringed and got a little nervous there, and then I was pretty relieved to see you know okay only three years and thirty three so that's a, basically the same you know contract that he had before this extension so the number itself is not too worrisome to me still a tradable deal. What I have a hard time under you know kind of piecing together is how exactly the Mavericks are going to rationalize having all these big guys together because there's first obviously there's no way to get them on the court together but you know if Marjanovic is in there you know when KP takes some nights off that's great you know maybe Powell can play alongside Porzingis uh, although that's you know you start getting into some switchability issues there I think the best combination of players for the Mavs right now would be to start Kleba at the five alongside Porzingis. And then off the bench would be Powell first. And then a little bit later, sort of in emergency situations, maybe 10, 15 minutes a game, comes uh, Marjanovic. Uh, Powell is just not really that good or bad at any one thing. You know, he's sort of a little bit above average at everything. And, you know, he's not bad enough at any one skill set to make you worried about, you know, his place in the NBA. Um, I I do wish the Mavericks weren't quite as married to him, you know, if you will, uh, especially given the fact that they committed so much money already in this one-off season. Um, I do think there is some belief within the organization. In fact, I know for a fact that there's some belief within the organization that he eventually could be moved uh, in a potential deal that the Mavericks were hoping to sign into a very friendly deal that another team could absorb without too much difficulty uh, and so you know I think on that front it makes sense and just to start the season with some good continuity in Finney Smith uh, you know Doncic of course coming back uh, and then of course there is some familiarity with Seth Curry um, that might ease you in when you're getting these new pieces involved with DeLon Wright and then of course this gigantic new piece in the Chris Stapps causing us so um, it's a little hard to justify. I kind of side with you on the fact that I'm a little kind of perplexed at just how, you know, in love the maps have been with Powell. Uh, but once I saw the actual terms of the deal, I couldn't really argue with it. He's a solid player. You don't have to worry about him. He's not going to wow you in any particular way. But he's also not going to, you know, lose a game. I think Matt is a safe approach here. And I don't think they should be too excoriated for it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you as far as uh, Kleba and Porzingis being their their best two bigs, and I, and I do like the flexibility of you know having Powell and Marjanovic off the bench, and and I see it more as not necessarily both of them getting you know ten to fifteen minutes each, more it more being a matchup based thing, and and Boban has been known for that, you know if a if if the matchup is right, he can be really effective. If it's not, he uh, he can he can really look like a weak link out there. And since they're such different players, you know, Dwight Powell, that uh, really great role presence, Marjanovic, the post-up guy and the, the scorer and rebounder, uh, I think they, they um, you know, can, can bring different things to the table and gives Carlisle a little bit of flexibility. My issue with your statement about the, the Powell potentially being tradable down the line is, you know, you talk about making $11 million a year. I don't think too many teams are going to be wanting to pay uh, a backup center, eleven million a year, and and I don't even necessarily consider Dwight Powell to be, you know, an elite backup center. Is he a solid one? Sure, but uh, you know, I, I think there are plenty of uh, of really good centers. You look at the the deal that uh, Utah just got with 
uh, Ed Davis signing him on, I believe, like a two-year, $12 million deal. There's a lot of quality centers that you can get for far less than that $11 million annual value. Right, right. That's a very good point. And it kind of relates to what I was saying earlier about Seth Curry, is that you know, the Mavs making these, these deals, these calculations about the certain contracts they dished out may not have actually paid that much attention to the trends around the league. I, on a big picture scale, I, I think the one thing the Mavs did really, really well in this offseason was I think they did a very, very nice job of because they, they, they obviously were they went into the offseason with cap space, but what they did a really nice job of is they signed the, the, the four signings that they made or three signings that they made from other teams all fit exactly into exceptions that would enable them to go over the cap. Should they not be able to sign? Should they not be able to use all of their cap space on outside players? They, they managed to sign Seth Curry, even though they were using cap space at the time, to a deal that was just about all the way there on the mid-level exception, eight uh, four years, thirty-two million dollars, right under the nine point whatever it was, nine point four, nine point five million dollar price tag. Uh, and then, you know, they managed to turn around and sign Marjanovic, two years, seven million, which of course fits right into the biannual exception, which of course was also disappointing because, you know, you wanted to see the Mavs use that cap space and then have the biannual exception available to them next year when they're far less likely to have cap space. Now they will not have that flexibility on their hands. Uh, and then when it came to DeLon Wright, they had this gigantic trade exception that they got in the, the deal uh, involving what Harrison Barnes when they sent him to Sacramento. Um, and, you know, you look at that and they managed to basically fit DeLon right into half of that extension. So at least they, you know, made these deals that didn't handcuff them into only using cap space. They, they signed deals that allowed them to use cap space or exceptions should have come to that. Of course, it was disappointing that it did come to that because they ended up sacrificing their biannual exception next year and any remaining cap space. And, of course, half of that that trade exception that could have been so useful for a team that was looking to make a salary dump. You could have, you know, taken in a first round pick, maybe at the trade deadline. Of course, that's so much harder to do now. So I think they did a nice calculated job of doing that. Of course, the fact that it had to come to that was very disappointing, but uh, the Mavs seem to manage the cap well. I just do have some questions about the Powell signing, as it seems you do as well, and the Seth Curry signing. Yeah, I mean... I think they did a, a solid job in terms of just, uh, you know, building up this roster with quality rotation pieces. You know, in, in previous years, they've thrown out a few guys that you, you're, you're a little questionable of, but now they've got uh, a solid rotation of eight or nine guys that are definitely NBA caliber. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the the other issue, you know, obviously Dwight Powell is the biggest one for me, but but just the, yeah, the priority of getting centers in here with this team, and especially considering Porzingis, as you stated earlier, and all the assets they gave to get this guy, to me, Porzingis's optimal position is at center with his ability to protect the rim and space the floor, and with his size at 7'3", uh, and coming off that ACL injury, him defending a lot on the perimeter may not be the greatest thing for him. Yeah, it, it's concerning because the Mavericks are not the best. I love Rick Carlisle to death, but the Mavericks are not the best team in the world when it comes to making defensive adjustments from you know from quarter to quarter. Uh, of course, now because the Mavericks may you know even though they may be a little short on the top end talent, 
even though they've got Porzingis and Doncic. What they do have is a lot of depth, and they have a lot of different guys who can play, you know, sort of a lot of positionless basketball. And should Porzingis really struggle defensively early, they can rotate Kleepa in there. Uh, should Doncic's defense continue to really be more Seth Curry and DeLon Wright? That's a pretty good defensive backcourt. You know, in fact, I, I would say that's one of the better defensive backcourts in the league. Finney Smith as a perimeter defender can certainly get it done. Um, so I think if the Mavericks can, and to answer your, your point, if the Mavericks can limit Porzingis, especially the first third of the season when he's still kind of getting his legs under him, if they can keep Porzingis kind of just in the paint where he's so, so menacing defensively, then you might be a truly good defensive team. I, I, I sort of have a vision as a Mavs fan of when you're up one with 20 seconds left and the other team has the ball and you need to stop of a lineup being DeLon Wright, Seth Curry, Vinny Smith, Kleba, and Porzingis. Um, to me, that is a switchable and defensively you know, poisonous lineup for, for other offenses that would be very, very difficult to score on. Um, and then, you know, Rick Carlisle, you know, from time to time, has been a little, you know, I think a, a, maybe just a little bit overrated in terms of his defensive schematics. Um, but I think he now has the horses defensively to limit Porzingis's, you know, usage rate defensively. When he can also save his energy for running up and down the floor, running pick and pops with Dodgich. I think if the Mavericks can keep him in the paint where he's at his best defensively, and then let him just run wild on offense, they're going to get the most out of him. Let Kleba, let Delon Wright do the dirty work defensively. Yeah, one of the things that's always interested me most about Carlisle on the defensive end is he's been very, uh, very consistent in his uh, his willingness to to utilize zone defense. And to me, the the idea of a zone with with Porzingis and Kleba, a couple of rim protectors on the back line of that zone, could actually be effective in in small doses. Uh, but uh, yeah, the the other thing I really like, and again, as you said, they don't have really the top end talent outside of your Doncic and Porzingis. But the the guys they have in the backcourt now, you know, you've got your pure point guards in your JJ Barea and the likes of uh, Jalen Brunson. But then you know Seth Curry and Delon Wright are very comfortable being that kind of combo guard type. Seth Curry being the great shooter, Delon Wright being a pretty good driver and. Uh, and defender. So again, despite uh, you know the fact that they they really didn't solve their biggest weakness, which is that wing defender, and they don't have you know the the high end talent like some of the best teams in the NBA, they've got a, a versatility to this roster that I think few teams can match. Very versatile. I mean, I mean, if you just go through this here, I mean, you know, Delon Wright, Jalen Brunson, and JJ Barea along with, you know, they can all man the point guard positions. They all have experience playing the two guard positions. Not With the exception of Brunson, uh, neither none of those guys are particularly elite shooters, although Brunson certainly was in college and really shooted very well last year. Um, but, you know, all those three guys are very interchangeable. DeLon and Jalen are very capable defensively, especially DeLon. JJ, you know, has never been much of a defender, especially now. 36 years old or whatever he is, and coming off of 20 Achilles, the Mavericks really cannot afford to put him on. You know, too, I, I really hope the Mavericks do not ask J.J. Barea to play too much this season <laughs> uh, because he's going to get absolutely abused on the defensive end. 
but you know, just having him there as a steady hand, you know, and he can still be effective on offense a little bit. He's not yet, but those three guys, I and mean, you've still got, you know, you've also got Seth Curry there in the mix, uh, along with Dorian Finney-Smith. We haven't even mentioned Justin Jackson yet, uh, who's a very, you know, lanky and kind of wide-ranging defender who uh, can shoot the ball, you know, 40% three-point shooter. Uh, and then, of course, Hardaway, who, for all his faults, is an absolutely effortless athlete. Uh, you know, and can get red hot from the outside, can penetrate, he's got a good handle. Uh, and then we just got done talking about all these big guys. I mean, this is a deep basketball team. And even though, you know, it may take some time, I mean, you know, the top-end talent, you know, while it is kind of lacking right now, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and Luka Doncic, I mean, if Doncic continues this meteoric ascent into superstardom and Porzingis gets back to at least most of what he once was... Mavericks might have something. I mean, my, my concern is rooted in what they could build into because they've already committed so much money to guys who may not be championship pieces. But the Mavericks might be one of those kind of sleeper teams that could kind of surprise you and be a sixth seed, a seventh seed, win 45 games, uh, health provided because of how deep they are and how well you know built they are to withstand injuries and some load management to Porzingis. Yeah, I mean, the, the over-under that Vegas set that I last saw for, for the Mavericks this season is at 40.5, and I see them more in like the 42 to 45 range as far as wins. I think they're going to be a solid team this year. The question for me moving forward, you know, a couple of years down the line, you're, you know, when you have uh, Doncic and Porzingis both entering their primes, you would hope you're a championship-caliber team, and I still feel like they're, they're missing that third piece uh, to, to truly compete at the highest levels. But, you know, you look a couple of years into the future uh, and the likes of uh, Courtney Lee and, and Tim Hardaway Jr. and their contracts come off the books, uh, in that 2021 offseason, they may have some cash to, uh, to, to add that third guy. And I would, I would imagine it should be a, a, a wing. Would, wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Without, without question, uh, you know, obviously the Mavericks you know, kind of rolled out the red carpet for Chris Middleton. You know, like he's sort of a fit composed of in the cosmos for this roster. Uh, but they knew as good as well as anybody he was not leaving Milwaukee. Um, but someone in that vein, you know, someone, you know, kind of with that skill set, uh, you know, a three-point shooting, defending, long wing that can take some of the scoring edge off. They're kind of trying to sort of squint a little bit and hope that uh, um, uh, Hardaway can be that, but I think they know better, you know, it's sort of against their better judgment, you know, that they made the deal to acquire him. Obviously, there were, there were far, you know, more, there were far bigger reasons that they made that deal. But, you know, in the future, you have to think about, you know, should Gordon Hayward potentially, make, you know, opt out of that player option? Maybe they could take a look there. Otto Porter's got a player option. Although, again, you sort of think, are those truly pieces that are going to really, you know, inch the Mavs closer to being over the top? You know, I, I was, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine recently that I wish the Mavericks would, uh, you know, just take a flyer on Kevin Knox. You know, maybe try to take a, you know, his, his stock could not be lower right now. I imagine, you know, he could be, in, you know, in need of a change of scenery. Uh, while he, he is quite short on talent, uh, he does fit that body type. Maybe just throwing a second rounder or two 
towards the Knicks. I can't imagine it would cost all that much more than that. You know, it could be an option. Um, but, you know, maybe Justin Jackson kind of, you know, ascends into that role. Uh, but without question, you know, they, they've got to look you know, down the line at a wing. They've got the sort of off-ball point guard. They've got the big guys. They, they're desperate for a wing. Yeah, and especially since, you know, Doncic, while I still think, I still believe a little bit in, in his uh, ability to eventually become, you know, an average wing defender, I think you're you're going to want to allow him to, to expend most of his energy on the offensive end with all of his creation responsibilities that he'll have. So you definitely want another guy that can defend those elite, those elite forwards. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot now, Evan, and uh, get your thoughts on what's your prediction for, for the Mavericks this year. Are they, uh, are they a team that's going to be on the rise but maybe a little bit short of the postseason, or do you imagine them creeping in into the one of the eight spots? So, right now, I've got the Mavs winning 44 games, uh, and I think that they will actually just, by a game or two, creep into that eighth spot. I think that this is the kind of basketball team that night in and night out, uh, regardless of who they're playing, they're playing the Warriors, they're playing the Clippers, they're playing the Lakers, they're playing all these powerhouse teams. I think this is one of those basketball teams that is just going to like going to be really, annoying. like for lack of a better term, I think they're going to be a very annoying team to play. What I, what I mean by the word annoying is kind of a team that's you know a little bit better defensively, a little bit tougher defensively. You know, in order to beat the Mavs this year, you know, obviously the top-end talent that some of these teams in the West have, like the Rockets, the Lakers, Clippers, will prevail for sure. But it's going to take a lot out of them, you know, I think, in order to do that. You know, this is not a team that is just, you know, okay, here and there they can pull out some impressive wins, but they're kind of a hot and cold team. I think this is going to be a team that, night in and night out, can keep the score down, can sort of grind you out a little bit. Uh, can frustrate you that they'll be able to get to the foul line, um, and so that alone, I think, is going to be able to kind of sneak them into the playoffs. I do not think they're going to do anything at all uh, once that playoff scenario arises. In fact, I think they could get swept uh, by one of these elite teams in the West. I think that the Clippers may be the best roster you know that I've ever seen. Uh, in the end, that roster is just conceived of uh, almost perfectly. Uh, but I do think that they can win 44, 45 games uh, for the reasons that I outlined. Again, help provided. Uh, and just sneak in there. I think they're going to get their butts kicked once they get into the playoffs. But I think that this team is just good enough talent-wise, definitely just good enough coach, coaching-wise. And if they can stay healthy, I think just kind of a grinded-out, rugged, tough team will sort of take advantage of enough teams that are having an off night just barely squeak in there. Yeah, I mean, just their size alone in the front court is uh, is scary. And, you know, when you've got a couple of guys in Doncic and Porzingis who on any given night can can light it up and, and win you a basketball game, that bodes well for uh, for them to at least be 500. But uh, I wanted to get your thoughts as well on, on, uh, on, on Porzingis and the sort of load management that you would expect are you expecting it to be similar to what you know Toronto did with Kawhi, and maybe Kristaps plays somewhat in that sixty-game range? You know, I would imagine that's what the Mavericks are thinking. But I also, you know, in a kind of you know nervous way, I do hope that the Mavericks do not 
um, play it too safe with it. Because even though we've, we've outlined how the Mavericks need to prioritize future seasons with him, future seasons between him and uh, uh, Dacic, I think it's important that those two get as much experience on the court together as possible. Uh, and regardless of how much they played together or against each other overseas and how much practice they've had together and how many nights out together and all this stuff, nothing is going to beat game action. And until they get you know some real tough games on the road at San Antonio, at Clippers, uh, you know they're going to need a lot of those games to really make your know, gel together. Uh, and I hope that the Mavericks, you know, let let Porzingis go a little bit and you know kind of trust that he can keep himself together. Uh, and I, I would hope that he would play close to that 65, 70 game mark because even though the biggest priority is the future, um, I don't think the Mavs should play it too safe because you know first of all you never know what could happen for a team that's got these two elite players. But second of all, you know, it, it's important that they get their feet wet as, as much as possible. That they let Rick Carlisle figure out exactly what they have between the two of them. That they figure out how these sort of ancillary guys, DeLon Wright, Seth Curry, how exactly they mesh with them. So that they can figure out, do we need to go get that third star? Or are these two guys enough for us to then just fill in the rest of it and then go from there? So I think that... Getting as big a sample size as possible, to me, would actually take precedent. Uh, but there's certainly nothing wrong with, with, with him taking nights off. And any night that Porzingis walks off the court, with, you know, not under a wheelchair, is going to be a relief. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the uh, the other thing, you know, that, that would be a good reason to make sure that Porzingis plays as many games as possible is he's had a, a little bit of a track record. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the skeptics of Porzingis would, would point to the fact that he's gotten off to these incredibly hot starts to to uh, two seasons and then has cooled off as the year has gone on. And, uh, you know, if, if Porzingis is going to be that, uh, you know, number one or two guy on a championship team that all Mavs fans hope he will be, that, uh, that tendency is going to have to change. He's going to have to improve and begin to get better as the season wears on because, obviously, if you're, if you're competing for titles, you want your guys playing at your best during playoff time. Right, right. If anything, you know, Porzingis might start out pretty poorly, you know, and you know, he's going to have some cobwebs to shake out. And then kind of slowly he'll get a, you know, he'll mesh back in. He'll sort of realize he likes playing basketball again, and and off we go. Uh, you know, I maybe at least you know maybe this time you know you know the second half of the season after the trade deadline he's you know what we all remember him to be. You know, that's at least what we can hope for. Now, what are you anticipating out of uh, out of Luka Doncic in year two? You know, we've we've had a a little bit of a track record here in recent years of guys that had these exceptional rookie seasons, like your Jason Tatum's, your Donovan Mitchell's, that then kind of stagnate a little bit in year two. Are you expecting a little bit of, of stagnation from Doncic, or are you expecting a, a, a leap? Not at all. I am expecting, if anything, a quantum leap. I, I think this guy. I, I mean, the thing about Jason Tate and the thing about Donovan Mitchell is I think that both of them relied so much on, especially in the case of Donovan Mitchell, I think Donovan Mitchell kind of surprised people with how, uh, who was it? I think it was uh, um, Eric Gordon, who after a regular season game, the Jazz beat the Rockets, so Eric Gordon said in a, uh, to a reporter after the game, he said, to quote, he's so damn athletic. Now, that to me just kind of signals that defenders around the league are kind of 
taken off guard by just how fast and strong and you know how, how quick he can how high he can jump all this stuff uh maybe stuff they just didn't necessarily see you know out of him at louisville jason tatum maybe a little bit different although tatum's shot was so consistent especially in the playoffs i also think that part of it was that you know that gordon hayward coming back definitely kind of messed things up Kyrie irving was a bit of a cancer for them. I think this is a, a healthier organization than the Celtics were last season. I think Luke, I think his game is almost entirely reliant on just pure skill. This is not the most athletic guy in the world we're talking about. Uh, you know, he's a pretty average-looking guy, and you know, he's not very fast. He's you know, certainly not very strong. He doesn't jump very well, and I think that's why you've seen some comparisons between him and Larry Bird. You know, because he's just not all that imposing, you know, from just, a, you know, basic, you know, but you look at him at the combine, you look at him, you know, just on paper and say, wow, this guy, you know, could only be average at best. Uh, but when it came down to it, his skill was just unstoppable at times. And, you know, I think he could lose a few pounds, you know, as we all could. But I think he, you know, I, I think this is going to, I think we're going to see Luka Doncic uh, really mature into a true all-around, all-world player uh, quickly. That, that is what I think of this guy. I think he's a once-in-a-generation talent, you know, when it, came, when it comes to just ball, ball handling, IQ, passing, a little bit of shooting. It, it, he's he's the real deal. I am not expecting him to take a step back at all. Yeah, I think the, the big... Uh... The big room for improvement for him is, yes, get, losing a few pounds and, and getting into a elite shape. I think that would do wonders for his game. But it, it is an interesting debate because, you know, you talk about, uh, when, uh, you know, young players' potential and uh, um, where you expect to see growth. And I think the, the average fan would say, okay, the, the really great athlete, like you mentioned, that Donovan Mitchell is, that maybe is a little bit more raw from a skill perspective, has more room to grow. Uh, but, but you're kind of saying the opposite, where a guy that already has this great skill, maybe not a great athlete, but has that basketball IQ, uh, can, can get uh, significantly better. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Is I think, you know, slowly, I think coaches just realized... Okay, well, we just got to put someone a little more agile on Donovan Mitchell, and we maybe not entirely stop him, but we can sort of, you know, we can we can contain him. Uh, and with Luca, that just doesn't really apply. I mean, you know, it, it, obviously getting someone bigger on him would, would help because he's, he is six foot eight, and at times he did struggle with some of those quicker, shittier, smaller defenders. Um, but all in all, I, I think Luca's one of those guys that kind of at the end of the day, you know, some coaches may not really have an answer for this guy, and especially now. He's not. Don't let team him at your own risk because you know if you have Chris Stapps on the other side, um, you know that's going to spell some trouble <laughs> for, for opposing teams. So he's not. He's going to be seeing a lot of one on one. Seth is out there to space the floor a little bit. You got an off ball scorer in Delon Wright. Again, I have a lot of concerns about what this means long term for the Mavs, but this season I'm pretty excited. Yeah, he should be. Uh, you know, he he is one of my favorite players to watch, and it will be fascinating to see how see how he progresses. And I think another thing that uh, that could really make him take a step is just improving those percentages on that three point shot. You know, that step back is is uh, is really unguardable a lot of times. And if he if he ups that to mid thirties or even high thirties, 
you know, that, that turns him into a, a whole nother level of player. But, uh, Evan, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with the Mavs this season before we move on and, uh, and discuss Dirk? Oh, well, I mean, as a Mavs fan, it's going to be so difficult to, you know, so bizarre, you know, for really to watch the Mavericks without Nowitzki out there. It's, you know, I've been on this earth 21 years, and uh, that is precisely how long Dirk has been playing basketball for the Dallas Mavericks. So it's, you know... Uh, what is there really other than Dirk Nowitzki when it comes to Dallas basketball, you know? So Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned it, 21 seasons with the Mavs, which is the most any one player played with a, a single team. He is a, a Mavericks lifer. Uh, I hope he uh, he sticks around and is uh, involved with the organization, similar to how you know Tim Duncan has, is now a, an assistant coach in San Antonio. I would love to see that with Dirk. He's also got a great personality. I would love to hear him more on the broadcasts. He does have a pretty, he's a pretty funny guy, he's he, a very loose guy, uh, you know, not, not, I think some people kind of took that as somebody who wasn't necessarily all that competitive, uh, uh, it doesn't take a genius to know Dirk Nowitzki was one of the most competitive guys uh, in the entire league, um, it was so driven to win, uh, few guys worked harder than him, uh, but all told, you know, he's, you know, I think he has also realized that there is more out there, and, and you know, that's going to, you know, I think he might take a year off or two before he joins the booth or before he maybe joins the Mavs as some sort of player development guy. Uh, hell, I, I'd love him to be in the building, you know, getting Porzingis to learn that step-back fadeaway. Uh, you know, that, that, anything that could make Porzingis even more deadly than he already is, I'd be all for. Right. And the Mavs, you know, to their credit, I mean, their coaching staff, you know, they managed to keep Nowitzki pretty durable throughout his career. I mean, he had the sprained knee. Here they won the title, and then he missed about a third of his last season. Uh, but he was also, you know, 40 years old at that time. You know, it's it can be hard to find any 40-year-olds other than Tom Brady that had that kind of longevity. So, uh, you know, that, you know, in a kind of roundabout way, that might be a way in which the Mavericks can, you know, feel pretty good about their the, the state of their health, you know, department with, with Porzingis. Yeah, and I'm sure Dirk uh, that uh, eased his conscience a little bit, stepping away from a team that uh, that seems to have their future pretty well set in in Doncic and Porzingis. But uh, just looking at some of the uh, some of the the accomplishments of Dirk's career, scored 31,560 points, one of seven players to hit that 30,000 point mark, over 11,000 rebounds, 14 All Star appearances. Even though the last one was uh, a bit of a gift from Adam Silver. Uh, he made um, four first-team All-NBAs, five second-teams, and three third-teams. He was the MVP in 2007, uh, also the champion and finals MVP in 2011. His career numbers, 20.7 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 2.4 assists, over 47% from the field, 38 from three, and nearly 88 from the free-throw line. But, uh, Evan, I'll just ask you this, uh, this question first. Uh, what's your what's your lasting memory of uh, of Dirk Nowitzki's career? Oh goodness, where do I begin? I mean, lasting memory. I mean, I'd say just you know every single night that guy came out with a virtually just un, unmatched competitiveness. I mean, it was such a pleasure to watch. You know, him just kind of break opponents' will in a way. I mean, you could just see. 
that when, when he hits that step back fadeaway shot, I mean, it, it's just like such a, an exhilarating feeling and, you know, de- seeing the opposing team just so demoralized. I mean, I think my biggest memory of him was when I was there in person courtside watching him drop 48 points in game one of the Western Conference Finals in 2011 against the Thunder. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it. I, I mean, just uh, an absolute master masterpiece. 48 points on not one single made three-point shot. Um, there, there's never really been a more unique ball player than him. Um, and, you know, being you know sixth all-time in scoring um, is not an under... You know, it's not something that should be taken lightly. Obviously, any guy, anybody who plays that long is going to rack up a lot of points. But, um, you know, dominating LeBron, dominating Wade, dominating Bosch in the finals in 2011 uh, to get revenge after they you know, ripped his heart out in 2006 uh, was obviously great to see. And, and you know, he's a lifer. You know, he, he and Tim Duncan, I think, are really the only player in the history of the league that you can look and say that guy right there was truly a spur, truly a maverick. You know, Jordan was truly a bull. You know, it's just such a unique player and such an ambassador to the game. And, uh, you know, it's just a shame that we didn't really get to see Dirk, you know, in in the finals more, in you know, those situations more where he was just, you know, truly at his best, which was deep in the playoffs and just kind of taking away defense's will at times. Yeah, that 2011 playoff run is is the thing I'll remember most. And yeah, you mentioned the game one against Oklahoma City. And that being in game one is so important because that just set the tone for the entirety of the series that you guys can't guard me, I'm going to be a problem. And they ended up due in large part because Dirk was absolutely brilliant, not just in game one, but that entire series. He shot, uh, you know, scored over 32 points a game on over 55% from the field. And and uh, got to the free throw line about 12 times a game and made like 98%. Uh, he was just sensational. He was great in that Los Angeles Lakers series in, in the Western Conference semifinals where he, they swept the defending champions, a, a team that still had Kobe pretty close to his prime and Pau Gasol, still a very good team. Uh, and then uh, obviously you mentioned the, the finals performance. Uh, not even being taken to a seventh game in any of those series in the postseason. What an incredible run. And it also goes to show you, you know, that competitive nature you talked about. Uh, There's not a lot of guys that could go through the heartbreak that he dealt with, not only in the 2006 finals, being up 2-0, and then losing in heartbreaking fashion that really close game five and game six. Uh, But then also... The following year, winning MVP and and suffering the humiliation of what was a round one defeat, uh, being uh, the the uh, the first one seed to lose in a seven game series to an eight seed, uh, but to come back from that to to recognize where he struggled, which was you know maybe going up against smaller defenders and and being able to to uh, back them down and and score more efficiently when when they could keep up and move with him. Uh, he, he worked on his game. He understood what he needed to get better at. He kept trying. And, uh, you know, it all paid off with, with one of the greatest postseason runs ever. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think the, the sweetest, if you will, part of that run was sweeping Kobe and the Lakers, uh, the two-time defending champion Lakers, uh, which is just like, I, I mean, the, the just unshakable pressure that they faced in that series, you know, was... 
uh, amazing. And, and just to see them do that, it was so good to see. And, and to see Dirk kind of, I think when the Mavs did that, when they, when they finally got past the Lakers and did it in that fashion, I think that's finally when people began realizing, you know what, maybe Dirk is, you know, obviously he doesn't have the five rings and he's never going to have the five rings, but maybe he is, you know, at least just from a basic basketball ability standpoint, up there with Kobe, LeBron. I, I don't think people, you know, even I, you know, would not say that Dirk was ever quite up there in terms of the one A's of the league. I think he was always sort of a like elite tier two player, if that makes any sense. But um, in other words, I think he was sort of in the you know always at the top of the Bradley Beals, the the you know who's another example. Chris Bosh, you know, guys like that. You know, he was always way at the top of that class of players. But finally, that season, I think we got a taste of Dirk as, you know, you know what, maybe he is, uh, at least for a time, uh, truly in that mix. And it was amazing to see. Yeah, and it was, uh, you mentioned the idea that it was disappointing we didn't get to see him uh, in, in some more finals, maybe some more long playoff runs. And it was pretty disappointing, I think, from the Mavs organization with a couple of their decisions. Not only the the team in 2012, the defending champs, and and letting Tyson Chandler go, who was the perfect fit next to Dirk in the front court, uh, and and not really giving that 2012 Mavs team a chance, even though Dirk was still terrific at that stage. But then also, even a couple years after that, uh, Dirk was, you know, Certainly passed his prime at that stage, but was still an elite offensive weapon. And they had a team with Jameer Nelson, and and Chandler was back with Dirk, and and they were the best offense in the league for the for a while. And then they made that Rondo trade and kind of sabotaged that group, and and the, and they ended up having a, a poor rest of the season. Oh gosh, yeah, uh, that it was so just that was maybe I mean you could make a case in a weird way that that team that you just talked about was actually more talented than the, the championship team. I mean, Rondo, Monte, Chandler Parsons, Dirk, Chandler, Stoudemire, Devin Harris, Richard Jefferson, you know, it, it was stacked. I mean, that team was unbelievably stacked. And, and I think, you know, that was not Rick Carlisle's best season. Rajon Rondo was an absolute disaster. Uh, and, yeah, it, it was very disappointing, you know, to see that season turn out that way because that team was – unspeakably talented and still had Dirk at, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not quite what he was in 2011, but still very, very good. Uh, and, you know, I think that was maybe the lowest moment in, in Matt's history in a way, you know, other than the 2007 collapse, you know, against the Golden State Warriors. That, that was maybe one of the most disappointing seasons in team history. Yeah, I mean, that team, I think through the first 30, 35 games of the season, were the number one offense in the entire league. Now, maybe that team didn't quite have the defensive upside to to win a championship, and I think that was the thought process behind trading for Rondo because they thought that Rondo could, could balance out the team and they'd still be elite offensively and they would improve defensively. But uh, I, I don't think they recognized that Rondo, after his ACL tear, was nowhere near the defender he used to be. And uh, his lack of shooting compared to what Jameer Nelson gave them, who he's a great spot-up three-point shooter, it really killed them on both ends. It, de- it definitely did. And then you factor in just you know how little he wanted to actually be there. Yeah. And it was just a terrible situation. And then, of course, in that series, not only did Rondo self-destruct, but you know 
Chandler Parsons' knee blows out. And uh, from there, it was just, you know, it was kind of a foregone conclusion who was going to come down with that series. So, uh, And then, of course, the very next season, you know, the Mavs go back to the playoffs, and they're without Parsons again. They're without David Lee. They're without J.J. Barea. The Mavs have had some injury problems, and, you know, hopefully Porzingis will be healthy, and that will not be the case this year. Yeah, and, you know, talking about that first uh, that first title contending group that Dirk played on in, in that, that made the 2006 finals. You know, that team was, uh, you know, real talented with Dirk, Jason Terry, Josh Howard, but also the fact that Josh Howard kind of just fell off a cliff. Uh, he went from being a, a really talented young player to, to being out of the league within a few years, and uh, that really kind of forced them to to uh, reevaluate the roster, and they eventually figured it out by bringing in Jason Kidd and getting Sean Marion. Uh, but there's also a gap there between that 2006-7 season and that 2011 finals where Dirk was still really good but just didn't have the talent. Yeah. There have been, it's been a... He had a helter-skelter career with the Mavs organization, and I can't give him enough credit for sticking through it and you know not getting bitter about it, not asking for a trade... You know, just kind of sticking to his guns and, and uh, you know, just, just sticking it out for the long haul. You know, I think a lot of guys would, would abandon shit, but he just stayed the course, and uh, eventually it finally paid off, and he got that championship. Yeah, I think uh, loyalty is a quality that, uh, that that few players have in the league anymore. You know, not not to suggest that, that doing what's best for yourself is is a bad thing. I certainly approve of that, but uh, it is it is fun to see a guy stick around and and stick it out through the ups yeah. and the downs with an organization. Very refreshing, yeah. And uh, you know, Dirk and Duncan are kind of and, and Kobe, you know, are kind of in a league of their own in that way. And uh, you know, although even Kobe asked for a uh, asked for a trade uh, pretty early on in his career, Kobe was no happy customer for a long time. So. Uh, you know, as a Mavs fan, Doncic and Porzingis will be the, uh, you know, will be the franchise uh, for the next 15, 20 years. You know, that's the best we can hope for. Now, uh, just a couple more questions before I let you go. I wanted to get your take on, on where Dirk stacks up in terms of the, uh, the all-time power forward rankings. Yeah, so uh, I, I do think that Dirk is pretty, pretty, high, pretty high up there. Um, on the list, I do think that you have to uh, slot a couple guys in front of him. Still, um, I think I think it's very difficult to say that he's better than Tim Duncan uh, because Duncan um, was just kind of you know uh, look for as amazing as Dirk was, uh, he was never Tim Duncan on the other side of the floor. Uh, right. Tim Duncan was easily a, you know a far far superior defender. Uh, that's not even up for debate, really. Uh, not to mention Duncan, I think, was kind of the first guy uh, in, in this era uh, to, to truly reassert that position as kind of the best, you know, reassert himself as being the best player in the league for a few years at that position because the league had been kind of changing out from under a lot of players' feet. Uh, but, you know, around that time, we started seeing, you know, that change a little bit. We got the Jermaine O'Neals, we got the Sean Kemp's. You know, we got, you know, eventually, you know, Powell came along, Dennis Rodman from an earlier time. But I think Dirk, I've always been one of those guys that I think puts Dirk slightly behind a couple others. Um, You know, just going back through 
NBA annals. I think you have to slot Bob Pettit in there somewhere. Um, Elvin Hayes certainly comes in comes to mind. I do think Dirk is above Barkley on the list and Kevin McHale. Uh, so I'll put I'll do this. I'll go Tim Duncan one, Carl uh, Malone two, uh, Bob Pettit three, and then I'm going to say Dirk is going to come in at number four, uh, a little bit ahead of Barkley, a little bit ahead of Garnett, uh, a little bit ahead of Elvin Hayes, and maybe just ahead of Charles Barkley. Interesting. So, so we have Dirk in a similar category, but we've got a few different names thrown in there. I've got, I've got Duncan at one. I completely agree with you there. He's the greatest power forward of all time, and I don't really even think it's up for debate, to be honest. Uh, and then uh, I actually have Kevin Garnett number two, and a big reason why is you know you it it goes to what you said about why maybe Duncan is better than Dirk is because Garnett was also that two way player. He was elite on both ends of the floor. Now, Garnett, not nearly as good of an offensive player as Dirk, but still very, very quality offensive player. Uh, you know, he, uh, him and Dirk, KG and Dirk, have very similar resumes in terms of they both won an MVP. They both won a, a single NBA title as the team's best player. Uh, so they have a lot of similarities, but I do value that two-way play that KG brought a little bit over Dirk. But I actually have uh, Nowitzki at that number three spot ahead of Barkley and Malone. And, and yes, I think uh, all three of those guys, you, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't really argue with you too much if you had one guy over the other. I think they were all terrific. But uh, I do just value that 2011 championship run that Dirk went on, you know, winning a title without a secondary all-star player. Again, winning a title was something that Malone and Barkley weren't able to accomplish. Uh, so what Dirk did there is, uh, is uh, you know, something special. Oh, yeah. And, and I do think, I, I will say this, you know, in an unfortunate way, I think had Dirk not won that championship, uh, his all-time status would be all but kind of forgotten about. Um, that is finally when we begin to look at Dirk and say, okay, this guy definitely at least deserves to be, you know, thought of in that all-time discussion. Um, certainly at his position, he's obviously one of the greatest scorers ever. I do think there is a bizarre uh, tendency for people to immediately jump to the conclusion that Olajuwon was the best foreign-born player ever. I do think that there is a bit of an argument that to put Dirk ahead of Olajuwon. Um, Interesting. Not, yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm not necessarily saying I side with it, but I do think it's a little bizarre how quick people are to discount Dirk in that conversation. Um, he's almost undeniably the greatest shooting big man ever. Um, and so his just absurd ability to create space on the court, surprising athleticism, good enough athleticism for his size, was just, it's just such a beautiful game he had. And uh, I think I agree. I have him four, you have him three. We have some different names ahead of him. But uh, nonetheless, though, I mean, you know, I think it's you know pretty much not up for debate that he was maybe one of the most, if not the most, uh, unique ball player uh, to ever list them up. I mean, just, you know, such a, you know, really transformed the game, had an unstoppable shot. That kind of signature fadeaway shot was so fun to watch. Uh, and I'm just happy I got to witness it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would say that uh, the Dirk, as far as the, the foreign international players in, in NBA history, on the offensive end of the floor, I think he's number one. Yeah, I, I would still side with Olajuwon because of that two-way play. I mean, Olajuwon was an absolute beast on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, but but uh, Hakeem also had an interesting, uh, similar 
resume as far as being a guy that, that was able to lead a team to a championship without a secondary all-star player. He did that in with the 94 Rockets. And and Dirk and, and Olajuwon, in that respect, put themselves in, in very elite company. You know, it's it's uh, it's an incredibly rare feat to uh, to be able to pull off a, an NBA title without having two All Star players. Right, right. He never really played with anybody like that. He, you know, he never really was featured alongside another superstar player, which is kind of a tragedy. <laughs> but uh, you know, he got it done that one time, and uh, he deserved it. Now, uh, as far as the all-time rankings, we don't have to go into super crazy detail here, but you know, considering he's my number three power forward of all time, I had him anywhere between fifteen and twenty on the all-time list. Where does he? Uh, where does he stack up for you there? I, I'm exactly in that range, fifteen to twenty. Um, I, I've, even though, as I said earlier, I do think it's a little weird how people are very quick to sort of discount Dirk um, in some of those all-time lists. Um, he's no doubt a top 20 player in my opinion. Um, I mean, if you're going to be that dominant for that long at basically anything, you know, I, I think you ought to be at least considered, and especially when it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to scoring, doesn't it? And, right. Uh, he, he did it almost better than anybody else. And, uh, you know, sixth all time on that list, and he did it, um, by winning a championship, among other things, he's been an MVP. Uh, you know, he, he had Steve Nash there for a brief moment in time, uh, but other than that, you know, he was on his own uh, with a lot of quality role players, of course. But other than that, it was Dirk, and it, it was the Dirk show. Uh, so, just hats off to that guy. I've got him probably at the seventeen to eighteen range. Yeah, I uh, I have him right around there as well. He he certainly. You know, I think something that maybe helps his case a little bit is how easy it was to build a team around him, you know, because the perfect center, as I stated earlier, to, to pair with him was like a Tyson Chandler. And there are so many centers that, uh, you know, their strength is rim protection and rolling to the rim. Uh, and, and Dirk, with his ability to to spread the floor so that you could run pick and roll with the center and he can space it and make things difficult for your defense or give him the ball in isolation made him such a versatile offensive player and, again, so easy to build a roster around. Right, right. And if, you know, it's in a kind of weird way, uh, the one thing that is sort of missing from this match team right now is exactly that. It's sort of the, you know, uh, all-doing big guy, but, of course, that just came along with KB, so you know, the Mavs sure have a, a type that they like. Uh, but who knows? Uh, you know, I, I Rick Carlisle very quickly said, you know, KB is not Dirk, but there's got to be some, you know, kernel of belief inside that he is pretty similar in that way because, you know, Dirk Nowitzki uh, uh, and Chris Stapps, there, there really couldn't be a better mentor for, for KB than Dirk, and I just hope that he sticks around with the organization at least for a little while. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if Porzingis has anywhere near the career Dirk had, that's going to be a good sign for Mavs fans for years to come. And uh, of course, uh, I echo your sentiments that it's going to be sad to not uh, not to see Dirk Nowitzki in the uniform this year with that beautiful jumper. But uh, Evan, this was uh, this was a heck of a lot of fun talking all things Mavs. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on and, and taking the time. Sure thing, Garrett. Always fun, man. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. 
Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar and uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.